Because I'm a musician, and I wanted to show you um, my gloves. These are the gloves that I've made with a team of people over eight years now. They're called the Mimi gloves. Um, and I'm just going to sing you a song. So this song um, is the first song. Uh, well, it's the only song with lyrics that's in the Harry Potter play. And the reason I'm going to sing it to you today is because the album has been... Uh, you can hear my delays, can't you? Okay. Shall I just mute them over here? Because we're having some problems with our Wi-Fi for the sound man, um, who is Yoop. Ah, uh, uh, we've done it now. Have we done it now? Have we done it now? No. A uh, gone. There we go. Um, so yes, as I was saying, um, I was going to say. So this song is called Hide and Seek, and it's had many different um, iterations in its life. I wrote it uh, about 12 or 13 years ago. Um, we're doing a project on it, actually, if anyone wants to see uh, an exhibition um, called The Life of a Song. I'll talk about that more later. But I thought it would be a good time today to play it to you in this form, which I've never done in a conference before. Um, because today is the first full day um, where you can pre-order my new album, which is the Harry Potter music from the Harry Potter play. Thank you. Um, and this song is uh, not normally done like this, but because it's um, it's like kind of a bit like this in the Harry Potter play, where you have a long drone and the and the vocals over the top. Um, so I was going to sing you that. Um, but first of all, I just wanted to explain a little bit about the gloves. Um, so the reason that I've got them um, over the years is because I was just fed up of sitting beside my laptop or standing by my laptop, moving, like pressing buttons like I did just then, um, or moving faders up and down on a little kind of uh, controller thing over here. Because every time I wanted to do something, like something as simple as sampling my voice, I'd have to come over here, sample my voice, get back over here, so carry on playing. Um, or if I wanted to, you know, add a big long reverb to my voice, then um, uh, in the past I would have had to go, um, but now I can just go, ah. oh, that lovely? Um, so I'm doing that because on this hand I've got, um, did you hear that by the way? Okay, just checking. Because if you muted the delays. Because if you muted the delays. Oh, no, they're there. <laughs> um, yeah, so on this hand, I've got uh, what I call a uh, secret finger. And when I put secret finger here, my reverb is very short. Uh, and when I do secret finger over here, it gets longer. And when I do this, it reverses everything, which is quite fun. Um, and then also, if you see me, oh, thank you. So it's the little things. Um, so with this finger, this is one, I call this one finger point, I have nine different postures. Um, I just kind of raise the volume of my harmonizer. Very simple. Um, but much nicer than going over here. Um, and then over here, I have something when I do puppet hand, which is this. Hello. 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 So basically scrubbing over 
Um, wait a minute, let me try something. Uh, next. Has neck now. No, it didn't work. Um, I like saying things backward, but that was a hard one. Um, so anyway, I was going to play this song now, and then I'm going to talk to you a bit about my next project, which I'm working on, which is around blockchain. Um, but this is one that I've been doing for eight years. Okay, here we go. Now, just take a breath. And I need to get back to the start. Um, but basically, you'll see me looping my voice, um, and uh, I set north by doing this, like that. And now I know that everything is uh, kind of relative to my hands left and right. So if I was to go, da 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 da, that's because it's in a different thing now. Um, if I go like this, I love it. Um, I know that's not really exciting, but that's, you couldn't do that before, and now you can. Okay. Um, okay, so here we go. Hope you enjoy it, and then I'll bore you with the other stuff after it. I'll wow you in the beginning. Okay.
Thank you very much. So here comes the boring bit. <laughs> um, so I'm on the road, I'm on tour, and this is my third week, actually, and we're visiting lots of different conferences, a different conference every city, and um, we're doing shows as we go, we're doing workshops uh, for music makers and music services, and we're doing kids' workshops around the, the mini-mew gloves that we're making for kids um, to build and code it themselves. And um, what else are we doing? And being a family on the road too, because I have brought my little three-year-old and my man, along with um, a few other team members. Um, so why are we doing this crazy tour in this way? It's a very expensive way, I might add. Um, not actually earning any money from it. Um, because I believe in a future uh, where musicians can earn a fair living and can utilize the technology to the fullest that's out there. The music industry is very slow to catch up with technology. Um, often the music, the main, the kind of commercial major music uh, labels often slow to adopt technology. Good example is MP3 and Napster um, and a big failing there uh, to adopt that technology when they could have really done some great stuff with it uh, instead of putting people in jail, for example. Um, so, yeah, so I wanted to talk to you about, um, basically, I got inspired by blockchain technology just as I got inspired by um, the maker um, and the maker revolution. Uh, and I, I met a bunch of people who made crazy stuff. And I was like, could you make this thing? Um, and then we've been doing that for a while. Um, but I equally got very excited by this thing called blockchain technology, because I wondered if there was something in there that would finally give the music industry an open songs database. Something that all the different organizations and labels and publishers and collection societies and potentially music makers could even uh, author into something which was open, something which was complete, something which was verified. Um, and I think, I think we can, um, which is good. And then I discovered this thing called a smart contract. And I was like, hmm, this sounds good, it's smart, that must be good. Um, and, uh, and then I worked with um, a company, uh, actually one man, um, uh, called, oh no, Phil? What? Phil Barry, Phil, Phil Barry, yes, sorry, of course, Phil Barry, who was working with Ujo. And together, um, we developed uh, the first smart contract for uh, songs to distribute payments um, horizontally, because uh, at the moment, it takes a very long time, if ever, uh, for money to go into the pockets of the music uh, makers. We're at the last of the chain. Um, anyway, so I got excited, I lost a lot of sleep, I did a bit of delving, and then I decided to um, do a little piece for Forbes, because they'd heard that I was working with blockchain. At the time, I wasn't actually doing anything with blockchain, I was just reading a lot. And, um, and I, so I, d I shared a vision of a future music industry that I would love, that I felt the type of technology, such as distributed ledger technology, um, could enable in the future. Um, and then lots of people were talking about identity as well, identity, um, how we should own our own data, and this was all making a lot of sense. So I started to put pieces of puzzles together, and, uh, and this is what we came up with. And now I'm hoping it's the big green button. There we go. Um, so 
I came up with a name for this thing, this vision of the future music in industry, and it was uh, inspired by nature, because beneath our feet in the forest, um, there's a thing which connects the trees and the mushrooms together, and they're sometimes tens of kilometers wide, and they're called mycelium. And um, so I thought this was a great metaphor for the kind of hidden goodness that's in the music industry, the creatives um, and the songs that happens there, that kind of early stage of risk um, and development and collaboration that happens before it gets to the services and the labels and the managers and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, so that's why I called it Mycelia. I mean, basically, going around the world, doing workshops, connecting the dots for services that are doing really amazing things, but they're hard to find because there's no kind of app for music services. Um, and as I do these conferences, I meet more and more, and I'll probably meet a few when I come off the stage, and I'll be like, oh, you should get in touch with us, and we should connect dots. Um, so yeah, so Tiny Human was the first song, that was the first project we did, that was about three and a half years ago. That created a lot of press for us, which was really good, kind of got people thinking about how, it, how maybe the music industry could benefit from something like, you know, one unique source of data for a song that would distribute payments and distribute any kind of data that anyone wants to know about a song. Because if you want to find out who wrote a piece of music or who played the saxophone or what, maybe what studio it was written in, you can't find it. Um, well, you could try, and sometimes it's there, but it's not complete. Um, another project we're doing is around that song that I just sang. It's called Hide and Seek, and uh, the project is called Life of a Song. And it, it's basically trying to understand through the lens of one uh, song, the music industry. So it's charting all of its income over, three, over 13 years, all the different people that have championed it and what cause and effect they had, whether that's a radio station or somebody who got it into a film or a TV. And what it really exemplifies is that the success in my career, well, certainly in that song, um, is not just streaming, it's very little actually streaming um, in the income. Uh, it's mostly, you know, syncs and a bit of live, somebody else covering it, um, all kinds of different things. Um, but there's no innovation, uh, there's a lot less innovation in that space in the music industry because we don't have a database of music makers for people to contact and find out what they do. So the last thing I'm going to talk about is uh, the Creative Passport, and that's what I'm going to dwell on, except I don't have one with me, it's a bit silly. Um, I have a physical Creative Passport that I like to hold up. But basically, it's a... Uh, what is it? Here we go. Oh, wrong one. That one. Um, the Creative Passport is your personal online footprint. It's the identity of you. It's the digital version or the physical version of me. And I don't have that anywhere, anything to point to. So when I'm busy being on stage, um, lots of people could be finding out information they need about my songs or maybe what rates for my next speaking um, engagement. I can't remember if I got paid for this one or not, actually. Um, but, you know, to, to be able to offer me jobs, all kinds of different jobs, um, so they can see my skills, uh, my identity, uh, my other kind of acknowledgements that I have. Because I have many different identities with many different companies, whether it's Google, Facebook, Twitter, Sony, Warner Chapel, Imagine Publishing, PRS, Gamer. I got 
I've got tons, um, but I don't have one of my own. So how, if I did have one of my own, I'd be able to help the flow around the music industry. And that's how I think if each individual music maker um, claimed their space in the world as one point where they could interconnect all the very fragmented music industry, we could really start to flourish and imagine all kinds of new services upon that layer. Then maybe they'd even pay us for things like a correct biography. Um, many services out there take about 10 minutes um, to write a biography about me. And um, they get that source from maybe Wikipedia, which I don't know if any of you have ever tried to edit one of your, your Wikipedias, but they don't encourage you to do that. Um, so often it's incomplete or incorrect. And I've tried to take off a particular quote that I never said, um, but people always put it back. Um, so there we go. So I'd like to have my own place where I can put a biography and all the services would pop up in an instant and see that happen. Um, so yeah, so that we can be linked and open data for business. Um, there we go. Oh, and here you could also add data into an open songs database, which I think this, if each, each individual creative had an identity space like this, um, that we could publish to the songs database and help with the huge problem of how. How to make a songs database when there are literally millions and millions and millions of songs and so many of them are unregistered. We need to include the music makers into that problem. So this is our... Our, our possibility for that. Um, okay, so what are we missing out? Yeah, innovation. Because at the moment, if you want to do a music service, you'll probably notice there's like, there's very big music services, very, very Spotify, Deezer, iTunes. Um, and the reason, and Amazon as well, um, the reason that they have to be so big is because they have to pay a huge amount of money up front in order to even get the music on their service in the first place, even before they started trading or getting any, you know, um, customers on board, they have to pay in advance for the music. And so the labels, you know, charge a lot of money for that. Um, and often that bit doesn't actually go back to the, to the recording artist because that was before contracts and all that stuff before there was even digital. Um, so, so I wonder if that's why we get these tiny, tiny payments from Spotify, because they're having to pay these huge amounts to the labels in advance, which puts them um, you know, at a disadvantage. So yeah, if we could open up all other kinds of data, like your skill sets, your inspirations, um, you know, maybe the history about a song, then you could start to see other types of services pop up and potentially pay us directly for that data, because we're adding content to their service but only when they scrape it, not when, when they don't need it. Because um, a good example, uh, so Ariana Grande, she covered a song of mine called uh, Good Night and Go, and she put it on her new record. But somehow, even though everyone's like, oh, well, she covered Imogen Heap. She's a friend, by the way, so it's not like she didn't do it on purpose. But, um, but somewhere along the line, they just missed me out of the credits. I'm not there. Um, and so all my fans were like, but Imogen wrote this song. Why is she not on the writing credits? And so we had to spend about three days, and lots of other people got involved to change it on Spotify and get the label to change it in the label copy for the next print. Um, but perhaps if there was a creative passport, I could just fire off a notification to all of the other writers and all the publishers and say, hello, problem. Um, can we sort it out, please? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, cool. God, so silly. Bang, off it goes to a, a kind of a, a point of that song data, and suddenly all the services know, and they, they don't even have to do it. It's all done automatically. Um, so, yeah. 
um, equal opportunities, being visible, being, being autonomous. I've had, I've had a few people come from different services saying, oh, we love this. Could you come and work for us? And we could build this identity on our service. And, you know, even though the money, the money would be quite nice to develop this, um, it's really important that it remains entirely independent because then that's our strength, that we are autonomous, that, we, that then any type of service that comes up into the world is a really good thing for us because there's all this... Um, there's all this commercial competition, which is great for us. Having big services that lead to little competition is not good for us. Ideally, we'd like to have tens of thousands of streaming services, not just four or five, because then we can find niche, you know, we can find better curation around that, and we'd have more kind of community, perhaps, around, around that. Um, yeah, okay. So how does it work? Well, so what we're doing around is, uh, we just, we don't have anything yet, by the way. <laughs> this doesn't exist. Um, that's what we're, and you're like, oh, this sounds good, I'm gonna sign up. Um, doesn't exist, because um, if, if I tried to make that exist, it would literally cost me millions of pounds, and then I'd have to get VC funding, and then it would have to be a for-profit thing, and then I'm just the same as everyone else. Um, so really, it's a really important that we just develop this slowly, together with the music makers, and as and when the services find out about what we're doing, they come to the workshops, we start to integrate and share APIs and, uh, and get on and build it together um, at little cost. And so what we hope to do um, over the course of this tour is to launch a beta in a couple of months. And uh, we're just going around convincing, hopefully, some music makers um, that they like sign up to the idea and then I'll have a peer-to-peer -peer verified app where they physically have to meet each other and go, oh yeah, you're Imogen Heap, oh yeah, you're Zoe Keating, oh yeah, you're Ariana Grande. And then we create these networks and we visualize them on a map as we go, hopefully so that the services or the labels that maybe are kind of like, yeah, it's a good idea, come back when it's finished, um, maybe they they might start to look at it and go, ah, the musicians are getting organized. This is good, um, because it is going to be good for everyone. It's going to save everyone a lot of time and money. Um, yeah, so what we've done, uh, anyway, music makers own their data. I mean, obviously, everyone is going to go that way in time, hopefully. We're all going to own our own data. We can decide um, whether we're going to you know, ask people to pay for that data in return for a cheaper bus ride. I don't know. Um, yeah, okay, so my CD World Tour. So I've already talked a bit about it, um, but that's what we're doing. And we did our first Hack Week in Stockholm, which was three weeks ago, where we got together with a couple of, um, a couple of services. And we did a very simple example, but it's the first time that we integrated with other services. And I just typed in, I added Ariana Grande to my biography of collaborators, and, um, and it popped up on uh, Gigseeker and on Streamliner. Um, and then we also, uh, it doesn't say it there, but we also uh, sent um, a message to, uh, or an update to Repertoire, which is a hopefully soon to be in the world, open songs database, collecting all the rights, uh, so that every bit pointing to all the rights holders so anyone can find out what they need. Um, but they're very into this idea that the music makers can also add to that data. Because like, oh God, it must be, I don't actually know the figures, but it must be huge. Like at least 80% of all music that's uploaded every day is un, uh, you know, unpublished. It's just people who aren't connected to labels. They're just independent young musicians just shoving stuff up there um, without really any care because they're like, well, I'm not going to get any money anyway. But, that, you know, hopefully we can change that, um, that idea. And we also did an experiment where uh, on the show 
in Stockholm, which was in a reactor chamber, um, not live, I might add. Um, and I sang a song called Half-Life, and everyone in the room had the opportunity to buy into, or to pay for, uh, a token amount um, for the recording and distribution cost of that song. And then when I receive the income for that song, I fire um, a message to a smart contract, which then pays my kind of, I can't remember what we call them now, fan, fan royalties, because they're not technically royalties, that last for a year, so they can really understand the flow of income. And some of them are, are journalists, so perhaps they might play the song a thousand times on Spotify and be like, right, I'm definitely going to get some money now. Um, but they won't. Um, so, yeah, develop Creative Passport as we go with the help of services who believe in the value of it. So if there's anyone here who wants to come, then at 2 to 5 at the East Hotel, I think, uh, today we're going to just um, workshop some more stuff around the Creative Passport and, uh, you know, or send some musicians down if they want to hear what it's all about. Um, oh, God. God, I haven't got time to do that. Um, basically, AI curation ready. There's, there's so much on the horizon, and we really need to be ready for it. Um, we can't just, you know, have human, uh, human, human curation. Um, we need to have our songs tagged and our data tagged in the right way so that we're prepared for the revolution to come in AI, helping us to find a listener, find a musician, and make that match, whether they're in Siberia and Hull in England. Um, and we could potentially in the future be the VCs of the future music industry by the money that we might receive from the services for our data. We could then reinvest that into future music services and keep the money inside the ecosystem, um, because we know what we need, we know what the fans need, and we could play a part of that. Um, so there we go. And the idea that if we have, you know, true transparency along the value chain, um, then anyone can invest. Anyone, your fans, your mum, any one of you. At the moment, you wouldn't touch a musician with a barge pole because you have no idea when you're going to see your money, just as we don't. We don't understand all the deals done uh, on our music's behalf. So there we go. The future is bright. Um, please tell musician friends, because a lot of them are very disheartened about the state of the music industry. But um, I really think we're in for good, good things to come, because uh, we need a home for music that is as good and gorgeous and loving as music is in our everyday lives. And I think we need to give something to support it. So yeah, please spread the word. And thank you for this time. And I will see you somewhere around. Goodbye. <laughs>